Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Good morning. Merry Christmas. It is a great day to be with you all. It's a great day to remove ourselves from our weekly norms, our daily norms, and fellowship with one another, isn't it? We serve a great God, a great King. You know, many of you all know I love Christmas. I say Merry Christmas to you all every day. I say Merry Christmas to the soldiers of my unit every day. I even say Merry Christmas as I enter onto Schofield Barracks to the gate guards. And thankfully, they are uh, on their duty for several weeks, and we kind of build this weird relationship where they will even say Merry Christmas to me first. And people will say, why do you say that every day? Well, perhaps some of you all have heard this tomorrow has not come. It's the future. Yesterday is the past. Today we call the present, which is therefore a gift. A Merry Christmas Day is an everyday thing. Last week, Chaplain Harrison preached about hope and how we can have an enduring hope, that we can have a hope for the future, that just as Christ has come before with the Christmas birth, that he will come again in the future. Amen? And there can be a great unity of Christ's church, his bride, with him in heaven. That the struggles, the perils of this world will one day end. And we will be with him in glory. And so sometimes people find it interesting that when I preach during the Advent, Says, I do not preach solely on the Christmas account. But please turn with me on Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. I truly believe that anywhere in the text you can come to a point of, of uh, uh, realizing that the Bible is all about Jesus. And just as it is all about Jesus, it is about His church and the work that Christ has done. We have two real points this morning. Only two. I'm not a Southern Baptist. But I truly love Christmas. I truly love Christmas. Matter of fact, the uh, we uh, on my street, I kind of live on a cul-de-sac. We have 11 houses and 50 kids. It's busy, busy. And the kids will either call me Mr. Christmas or Mr. Grinch. And the first time that they call me Mr. Grinch, I said, wait a minute. That's a little counterintuitive. And they said, well, actually, no, the Grinch loves Christmas. And I, and I kind of thought about that. I said, please explain that to me. And, you know, children are theologians as well. And they told me that the Grinch hated Christmas in the beginning, but his heart grew three times at the end of it. And he grew to love it. And I pray that we as a church will never forget to love Christmas. Because there is something very special and unique to it. I kind of feel 
that Christmas has kind of enveloped itself within our culture as a part of a holiday season. It's more about Christmas traditions rather than the birth of Christ. That it's this cute little children's play who they wear clothes four times bigger than themselves and they trip down and you kind of giggle and you have this plastic Jesus that the kids kind of, you know, do their, their play with and this and the other. And all that's cute and all that's good. But there's a little bit more to Christmas than just traditions. There's a little bit more to Christmas than just hot cocoa. And yes, you can drink hot cocoa in Hawaii. To do that, or hot uh, apple cider. We're going to have both at our Christmas Eve service. So please join with me with the reading of God's Word found in Ephesians chapter 2, and we will find out, we will hopefully learn how this ap uh, applies to the Christmas account. Starting in verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, Gentiles being those who are non-Jewish, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far had been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Please pray with me. Father God, I ask simply this that your word will be preached faithfully, that your church, your bride, will be challenged by it and respond well to it, and that I do not become a distraction of your handiwork and your message of truth. That we will come and adore you all the new of the mighty thing that you have done with the birth of Christ. And it is in your name do I pray. Amen. There are a lot of Christmas traditions, aren't there? If I were to ask you all as individuals, you all as families, some of you might have individual traditions. Some of you might have family traditions. I grew up with Christmas Eve. You can open up one present. 
I love the stockings. The stocking is my favorite part of it. My mother would pack these these awesome gifts and just unique things in that stocking and you would unload it and just surprised by the creativity that she would bring to it. I love the the family get-togethers and the foods. I thank God for taste buds. But peace is what the angels declare to the shepherds and to the people. As we just heard from the Advent reading, peace on earth, right? And goodwill to men. There's a song that you might remember, the I heard the bells on Christmas Day, where it says that very lot, peace on earth. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And as they played, they would say, peace on earth. And some of you here might not have such peace. Doesn't it seem that peace seems a little fragile at times? We can all have bouts of anxiety. Anxiety and being anxious is now one of the leading mental diagnoses of our culture. We're living in a day where every single person desires to understand every question that could be asked so they could have an answer to every question. And there is a tremendous fear in our society today of what is going to happen tomorrow. And if I don't know, how will I ever be prepared for it? There just simply seems to be a great angst in our society, in our world today. And I would say, in a, you know, call me a master resilient person to hunting the good stuff, it's easy to say, well, look at the world, chap. Look at the world, it's gone crazy. It's nuts out there. I've heard people say, I will never have a child in this place. Well, that's, Somewhat unfortunate. But I would dare say the closer that we get to the return of Christ, the more active Satan will be. And I would say that nature itself is anxiously waiting for joy of the return of the king. And so should his church. Let me read this part again, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is our first point. Our first point is this. The birth of Christ brings peace on earth and unity towards all humankind. Unity within culture, unity within people, cannot happen simply with good thoughts and good intentions. Well, how can I say that with such such boldness? Look at all history and give me a time where all mankind was unified, 
even in the smallest of countries. We see here that the writer of Ephesians, Paul, as he was writing to Ephesus, and many of you might recall as we studied the book of Ephesians, we shared with you all that this was the philosophical think tank of the Roman Empire. You would think that the Roman Empire were, had a great internal unity, and yet there was always discord. There was always political angst of what was going to happen within the empire. Would it be strong enough to hold itself against all of its external and internal enemies? He starts with this very first line. Look at this, and I would say this first line should be the mantra of every single Christian. Therefore, remember that you at one time, and stop there. If we are so quick to forget of the mighty works of Christ, Christmas becomes nothing more than another fairy tale that Disney could ruin a movie with. If we forget what God has done, everything else becomes a warm and fuzzy tradition. All throughout the Old Testament, the prophets of God continually reminded the people Remember, remember, remember. We come up with new slogans today. Those of you who forget history are bound to. Isn't that interesting? You probably did forget history. And then you probably repeated it. How many of you forget that Christmas happens every year? And you think, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I have to buy presents this year too I forgot last year's gifts weren't good enough for this year my poor daughter Eleanor she is an anxious little thing she's either extremely smart or extremely anxious right before bedtime she'll say where's my bean she has this random random bean that she found somewhere a traditional kidney bean, one of millions in this world. But it is precious to her. And right before bed, she wants to have the great assurance that we did not throw it away. And she has to check and make sure it's there. Because all of a sudden, she remembered, <gasps> my bean, my parents throw things away. Did you throw it away tonight? No, she wanted, she wants assurance that what was precious to her was not discarded. We as a church should be quick to remember what Christ, what our Father, God the Father, has done for his people. And with the birth of Christ, it is declared that he has done a great thing and never before the issuance of peace unto the world. Again, as you recounted from the Advent reading, that the angels declared peace on earth. You might recall other accounts that Jesus proclaimed when he was on the boat, and he, and he declared to the weather, be still. There are numerous accounts where Jesus mentions peace. You can take it all the way back to the Old Testament with Mephibosheth. 
He is brought before King David in utter fear that he's about to be slain. And King David says, fear not. Peace is a security thing. Where do you feel peace? In your very soul. And when your peace is threatened, where do you feel it? In your very soul. It says here, therefore remember that you were estranged. You were alienated. You were separated from Christ. And you had, you were complete strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That there was a belief at that time that if you were not Jewish, all the promises of God were not for you. You had no hope. Matter of fact, in the Jewish temple, before there was a common area, and um, there, <clears throat> excuse me, there were separate uh, separate squares within the temple of God in Jerusalem, and on the middle wall there, it would inscribe, "No Gentiles pass this point." More or less, you cannot enter. If you enter, you will be dead. Somebody else has to come and do the sacrifice for you. You cannot come. And therefore we have peace. Because there is no wall there anymore. That we should be quick to remember that Jesus, just as the prophets declared that he would be born, the prophets also declared what? That he would die. Not a common death, but a death on the cross. And not just any other criminal death on the cross, but a death on the cross to pay for our sins and the promise to resurrect conquering death. And therefore we can have peace. Therefore we can have this peace because there's a great unifier in the world. And it is his birth. Because I don't know about you, but have you ever seen an unbeliever celebrate Christmas too? They do it all the time. Or at least they think that they're celebrating Christmas. Isn't it funny that wars ended or at least paused on Christmas Day? Many of you might recall the account during World War I where Germans and the, and the Allies stopped shooting at each other for one day just to play a game of soccer. That there is a chance for peace for the entire world to reflect on the hope of a simple birth. I ask you, when was the last time that we just simply reflected on the simple birth of Christ? The theologian and wonderful writer C.S. Lewis, some of you might know some of his writings, was quoted to have said that the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus becoming man, was nothing more than the divine coming down to be a slug. To realize that what other religion would say, yes, I am going to send my divine son not to criminalize, not to bash, not to harm the people, as you might read on the account of other Greek mythologies, but to redeem and give hope. Again, I encourage us 
to go back to the beginning of verse 11. Therefore, remember. Because the opposite of peace is hostility. The opposite of peace is forgetfulness. And isn't it easy to forget what Christ has done? Isn't it easy to forget His promises and everything that He has done already in your life? I'll never forget. Yes, I asked Dana if I could share this story. Dana is a very anxious person. And we've decided to go active duty and we moved from Virginia to Colorado. Our first duty station was Fort Carson. And keep in mind, her entire family lives about two hours away from each other in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And here we are in Colorado Springs. And she had an anxiety attack. I never felt so helpless as a person as her husband before to see my poor wife in the thresholds of anxiousness and could do nothing about it. Many of you might have felt that same way about being completely overwhelmed with your children, your career, your family, the what-whats and the what-ifs and the should-haves and the could-haves. And yet what was remarkable was during the anxiety attack, where, she, where the anxiety attack was having, it was in the house of a good friend of Dana's, and we were staying there for two weeks. And afterwards, we were able to talk and remind each other, we have no clue what this active duty life is. But look at the faithfulness of God, that out of the whirlwind of all the world, He would have sent us to a place where she... The anxious one actually knew someone. And community was built and formed. Church, remember that at one time we were far off. We were estranged. But the birth of Christ was the entrance of peace that we can all be unified to Him. Amen? Point two, look at starting verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, notice how before it was remember you once were, and now it is, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the only way that there's peace between God and His people. That is the only way that there can be peace between man and God. His church and his plan and purpose is through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Twice it mentions that. That there should be no more hostility within the church of, of God. And isn't it sad? Raise your hand if you've had a bad experience in the church. I almost did not become a chaplain because of that. I don't want to be a church. I don't want to go to church because, you know, there's Christians there and they're a bunch of hypocrites. Mm -hmm. 
They look weird. They're all holy roller people. I don't want to be with them. So what am I going to do? I'm going to become a chaplain. You know, I truly believe that if the church is filled with hypocrites, that's probably a healthy church. Because I want to be part of a church that didn't think that they needed Christ. The church very much should look like a YMCA. A gym where people need to be physically and mentally challenged. A community just like this, how we reach out to the community of Schofield and Wheeler. In a place that's known within the community for what it offers. And I've shared it with you all before, that if for some reason our chapel doors would be closed, would the surrounding community mourn at the loss of this chapel? I hope it would. But the point of number two is this. The peace of Christ brings unity to his church with a new man and a new identity. That's the point of number two. Notice how it says twice that the, the dividing wall of, of hostility was broken down. That we cannot just take the birth of Christ as a sweet, little, cute moment in time. You know, my favorite Christmas song, strangely, is the Little Drummer Boy. It is the most random one out there. It's talking about the animals keeping time. Could you just imagine the oxen? <laughs> I have no idea why the little drummer boy I've always been connected with it maybe because I play the acoustic drum the, the, the drum box down there maybe that's it I'm going to close with what I think I can relate to it the peace of Christ brings unity to his church that in these walls that we as believers can have a great sense of unity by the identity that His birth gives us. That we are all therefore born into a new person with a new heart that the old has faded away. And that we can have a great assurance of what that promise is. That Jesus, I have promised to give you all a Savior and that Savior redeems you on the cross and that Savior will in the future bring you to heaven with me. And therefore, it does not matter what you look like, what you sound like, if you can play a musical instrument or not. It is the great, the birth of Christ and the peace that he brings and the unity that he brings, brings the best example of equality and equity to each and every single person. Therefore, I can look at you and realize Yes, you are my brother. Yes, you are my sister. After the resurrection, many of you all know that Peter had a revival on the day of Pentecost and thousands of Jewish people become believers and thousands of Gentiles became saved as well. And on Acts chapter 15, there was what's called the Council of Jerusalem. And it was the Jewish leaders who were Christians who would say, well, now what do we do with all these Gentiles? Do they have to be circumcised in order to have the covenants of God, the promises of God? And Paul says, you fool. No. 
Somebody who is now a believer of Christ does not have to be, go back and be circumcised, does not have to go back to these old commandments, but focuses on the new man, the new image, the new church. It does not say, well, I know you uh, claim to be saved, but uh, you don't act like it. So you need to change all of this. Paul, again, was sitting in the, in the book of Acts. Paul, we have an account of him sitting with a bunch of Gentiles, a bunch of recent converts. And these Pharisees come up and Paul gets anxious. <gasps> these Jewish leaders are coming. I have to run away. I can't be seen with these people. And Peter confronts them. Hey, why did you leave in such a hurry? Why did you leave those Gentiles when you saw those Pharisees come? Don't you know? that there is a new covenant. That we do not have to place ourselves under the limitlessly of every single law that God has given. But the birth of Christ, His life, what He did on the cross, fulfilled all of that law. Isn't that great to know that me as a person does not have to be a perfect individual. And yet I have a perfect Savior. Isn't it great to know that I don't have to be a perfect father in order for my children to be saved? Isn't it good to know that I don't have to be a perfect chaplain to do well at it? That I can look and be reminded of the new image, the new identity that Christ has been has given to me, that I don't have to think and dwell long on who I was formerly, but remember that I am part of His church. That at one time, even in our own nation, depending on how you looked, determined where you ate, where you went to church. What you did and everything like that. And there is no more dividing wall of hostility. That we should come to a church and it should have a diversity as we see this very morning. Because it's not like, well, you look this way. So Jesus needs to, you know, he needs to redeem you again. You said you were baptized. Nah, you got to do baptism again. You got to keep. The peace of Christ brings unity to his church with a new man and a new identity. And let's read some of that again. In verse 17, And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, those Gentiles, the ones who believed that they were unworthy to be saved, the ones who felt like they were not good enough, the ones who did not have the education, the looks, the positions of power, and peace to those who were near, the one who thought that they had it all figured out, the one who knew the law of God, and yet missed the point. The one who was prideful. The fact that they knew everything. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Beloved, I pray. The very moment where that anxious heart starts to beat. To remind yourself that you are part of the household of God. 
that is dating from today and all the saints that will be saved in the future and all the saints in the past. That the birth of Christ is not a trivial thing. That because it has happened, we can rejoice daily that we are part of one household of God. That it's not, well, you are, you look, and you sound like a level 20 Christian. You go ahead and you sit in the front of church. You go. Or you're a level 50. You don't even have to come to church anymore. Good on you. Well, you're a newbie. You're one of those newbie people. You can't do much. Just kind of sit here and listen. And one day, God is going to use you, buddy. No! That we're part of a great household. Have you ever felt alone as a Christian? Have you ever felt isolated from the world and isolated from community and isolated of good friendship? Have you ever felt alone in this world, church? I tell you, that is exactly what Satan aims you to think and feel and do. His greatest issue with Christians is that they think that they should be together. And he does everything that he can to isolate you. What does 1 Peter says? Be watchful, for the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. Lions don't hunt the pack. They hunt who they can separate. And it is good for us to remember as a church what God has done and what he continues to do. That you have given a new identity. And when that ease of forgetfulness happens, it is good for you to remind yourself that there is a peace that surpasses all understanding as the New Testament proclaims. Why do I feel such a connection with the little drummer boy? Most of the time I can't even listen to the whole song. I end up weeping. I think it's because I am much like him. I'm a poor boy. And I can bring nothing to the king. And yet, he calls me close. And yet, he wants me to be near. And yet, he wants me to play for him through his gifts and talents that he has, brought, has, that he has given to me. We're about to have communion. There's no better description of what peace is than with this table. That his body was broken and his blood was shed. I will end with one quick story as the band comes up. I was questioning if I should share this account. At one time I was working with at Liberty University as one of their staff members. And I was going on a hike with my distant cousin and her little friend and we were hiking and you know, as as there are here, mountains and waterfalls and we saw the mountain and it was a beautiful mountain and as we were coming down there was this great turmoil, and there were these people that were running and so forth, so forth. And I asked this lady, I said, what, what's going on? There was, a man, there was a man that fell down the waterfall, and we were rushing down to see if we could help him. Well, my long-distance cousin was 
both of them, uh, her and her friend, were uh, students to be Medicare providers, and so we ran down. And unfortunately, the man who had fallen down the waterfall had passed. And what people did not know that he was at a hike. He was no more than maybe 17, 18 years old, and he was hiking with his younger brother, who was no more than 11 years old. And his brother was in complete shock of what just happened, seeing his older brother like that. And I took the child and we started walking. And he was still in shock and he was hyperventilating and we started talking, talking, talking. And he brought up church and I said, hey, tell me about that. And we started talking about church. We started talking about his view of God and the fact that he knew God, that he loved God, and that he knew that his brother was in heaven. And after he said that, he stopped hyperventilating. He stopped crying. He stopped mourning. We started to celebrate his brother's life. And there was this unique peace about this young man. And I brought him back to everybody else and coordinated a ride to go back to his family. And the people there was in complete shock. How could he be so peaceful after that? And I said, well, this is what we talked about. We talked about Jesus. And do you know him? And just as the New Testament proclaims that there is a peace that surpasses all understanding that the world can give you. And I ask you all, do you know that peace? But you constantly compare yourself with the identities that the world will give you. And does your soul have peace? Does your soul have rest of what Christ has done? Or is Christmas just a trivial, fun little thing? of good childhood memories, warm and fuzzy moments, that afterwards, eh, Christmas carols will no longer be sung. Life will go on, and Christmas gifts will be returned, and the new year will be celebrated. Or do you know that peace? Pray with me. Father God, it is my prayer that we as a church will know and be quick to remember the peace that you provide and the hope that has been given that we can all be unified through your handiwork that we are all equal before your cross and desperately in need of it. That Jesus, who was obedient, came down to this earth to be born in such humble means and he was obedient even to the cross. That we can come to you with our anxious hearts. We can come to you with our fears. That we know that we are no longer far off. That we are no longer unworthy. But you have made us worthy. And so we can come to you in our faithfulness. And we can come to you in our unfaithfulness. Knowing that there is no more hostility. Between each other. And between you and us. And in your son's name do we pray. Amen. I invite the chaplains who are going to come and help me to be to serve this communion. And as you are ready to come to flood this inner aisle, come and as you will see that this is a double packet. Curse a little shaking, shaking business here. Undo the top and have a, a personal prayer of meditation of yourself. If you know this piece, and if you don't know this piece, to cast your cares 
upon him during your silent prayer and reflect upon his goodness and his faithfulness. And we will take together the body and the blood of Christ. Come.